guys. How you guys doing? How was Thanksgiving at your end? It was fabulous at my end. My gosh, it was like <laughs> a day to do all the crazy work that I have not done in for a long time. Today, I have an amazing person with me. It is just so awesome. But before we get there, you guys know what's up. You know what's up, folks. We got to do house cleaning. So where are we? This is Let's Talk Plant Medicine, Cannabis, Psychedelics, and Pharmaceuticals. And what the heck is this? <laughs> this is, I'm Dr. Lola, also known as Dr. O. I'm the founder of WCI Health, your alternative health and wellness hub. We'll help you level up on your wellness journey using the powers of plant medicine like cannabis, psychedelics, and using education. Really, the focus is education as the tools. That's what we do. So that's what's going on. And what other uh, house cleaning do we have today? Yeah, you guys know what that is. Uh, this, is uh, this show is for educational purpose and should not be taken as medical advice. Consult with your doctor for all your medical needs. Do not stop or start any medicine without talking to your doctor. Having said that, why are we here? How are we even able to be here? <laughs> We are here because of people like you. This show is sponsored by WCI Health. They are your alternative health and wellness hub. At WCI Health, like I said earlier, we help you level up on your wellness journey. They are the makers of glows. And when you think of glows, what comes to your mind? It is the beauty from the within. Beauty from within is about all that you love. Your pets, yourself, they got beauty products. They have CBD-infused products. It's all kind of cool stuff. And they are also the publisher of this beautiful book. <laughs> if you haven't got yours yet, you know it's lying off the shelf. Is this season for giving? I'm telling you, and I'm going to be talking to Samuel as well about this book today. The beautiful thing we have been hearing about this tiny book is the father is saving life. I was in Clubhouse room the other day and this, a lady came out and said, Dr. Oh, your book is literally a lifesaver. It's basic, straight to the point, no medical jargons in here. You need what you need something for sleep. You don't know what topping you need. This is where you're going to find it. Anyway, go to where do you get it? WCI-health.com or you slide in my DM, WCI-health19. Or if you are out of the country, where else can you get it? You can also get it on Amazon. We have it in uh, Kindle version and also in paperback. So that's that. That's what's up with that. And I want to also say thank you to you for every one of you that is a member of Health Equals Wealth you are indirectly uh, supporting this show. And thank you so much. And for those of you that are still sitting on the sideline, why are we waiting for? What are you waiting for? Come join us. We need you to keep this show going. It's all about education. This plant has been demonized for so long. Lies upon lies have been spread about cannabis, psychedelics. So people like Samuel and myself, we are coming here to take away all those lies and give you the real deal. Why do I do what I do? I'm a clinical pharmacist by trade. Most of you know that already in case you don't know. 
and plant medicine queen. That is, you guys gave me that title, not me. <laughs> I was born in West Africa where we use plant medicine as our first line of therapy. So I'm bringing that knowledge as well as my clinical background to help you level up on your wellness journey, saving money on your healthcare costs and to avoid adverse reaction. I mean, the cost of healthcare is literally insane, but that is why we have to go back to herbal medicine. I used plant medicine growing up. I used mango leaves trees for malaria. So I know what I'm talking about here. Enough of that, enough of that. For those of you that are yet to join our club also, Cannabis Psychedelic Club or African Canadelic Club on Clubhouse on Saturday, 12 noon Eastern time and on Sunday, 12 noon Eastern time. We want you to join our village, come on board, slide in DM, wci-health.com. That's where you're gonna have all the good stuff. That is enough of us. Now let's go to this great person. You know what we have here with us today, Samuel Richard. Samuel is the executive director of Arizona Dispensary Association. This man knows his way all around the state capital. This is a, a great human when you're looking for your way around the politics of not just cannabis, you know, state politics, federal poll, and I am a pol political junkie myself. I, I love, love, love to talk politics. Samuel is the person you want to go to. He's doing great work in Arizona, and we're going to be hearing a whole lot from him today. Samuel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, it's great to be here, Dr. O. Thank you for the time. Awesome, awesome. Now, talk to me, Samuel. How did you even find yourself as the director, the executive director of our Arizona Dispensary Association? I know they just have our legalization and everything. I want to know about that. Talk to me about your journey through cannabis and your background generally. Yeah, so uh, my parents like to remind me that when I was a little kid and uh, there was a question about what do you want to do when you grow up, I said, I just want to get paid to talk to people. Uh, and it turns out that that job uh, looks a lot like being a lobbyist. So that's what I went into. So I've been a policy advocate and a, a government relations professional for a while now, um, and, and, and mostly on social issues, things like criminal justice reform, environmental justice, uh, immigration rights, and, 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 and more. And through that work, particularly around criminal justice reform, I uh, really got interested around uh, cannabis policy. Um, because obviously the intersectionality with the criminal justice system and cannabis. And uh, my wife and I had our uh, second child um, uh, a, a few uh, years ago. He's two and a half now. And mm -hmm. in the midst of my own uh, uh, paternity leave for that, um, I, I had kind of uh, had the opportunity to come on board with the team that was launching Proposition 207, uh, which is the sign here behind me for folks checking us out on YouTube, um, uh, uh, which was the legalization initiative uh, that brought the adult use marketplace here to Arizona. So I've been on board here with the association for about two and a half years uh, now and have loved every minute. The cannabis community uh, is uh, just a wonderful place. It's like a big family. Um, and, and because, you know, when you get into cannabis, when you get into plant medicines, uh, things just get a little bit clearer, you get a little bit more casual, um, uh, all, all at the same time where we're building, you know, a $2 billion industry here in the state of Arizona alone. 
um, uh, as a part of you know $150 billion industry nationwide. So we have uh, quite a bit of work to do to, to, to build towards that potential, but uh, really excited to be uh, here and, and uh, chat with you a little bit more about what, what we do. Awesome. Awesome. That is cool. I love Arizona. I was there a couple of years ago, I think 2009, when I was trying to go to farm school, I wanted to come to school over there. So I came down for interview uh, Glendale, one of the schools in Glendale. It's a beautiful, beautiful city. Okay, uh, talk to me, Sammy, about uh, what does it take to be, uh, to be able to run an organization like uh, ADA? How, how does your day-to-day activity, how does it look? Yeah, so we have um, what some of your listeners might know of as a limited license market. So we have about 170 roughly licenses that are a part of our system. Um, uh, but underneath that, we have hundreds and hundreds of independently owned and operated businesses that might be uh, brands or, or uh, cultivations um, or, or all, all a variety of different things. So we're in some markets, uh, those are all licensed separately. We have a vertical license system, but the owner of that license can lease the ability to operate to any number of different individuals underneath that. So our membership includes both those licensed owners as well as the independently operating brands that operate within them. And of the the 125 licenses that are up and operating currently, um, 110 of them are our members. Um, So we we represent a a wide swath of of the uh, um, uh, landscape here in in the ecosystem. And really our focus is on uh, uh, three broad topics. The the first being uh, legislative advocacy, making sure that the the, the statutes uh, in the Arizona uh, state law um, are are, uh, as friendly as possible to both consumers and industry uh, in, in terms of cannabis. But then also, once you have those statutes, you have to make sure that the rules and regulations are also, uh, um, uh, you know, operating in a way that makes sense for both consumers and industry. So that second leg of of our our stool really focuses on regulatory compliance. So a lot of our work is making sure that we're in constant communication with our partners at the Department of Health Services, where we're licensed, but also the Department of Revenue, uh, the Division of Weights and Measures, um, and any number of different county and cities that, that have to do with the day-to-day operations of cannabis. And then that third leg is really um, uh, packaging and, and repositioning our role um, in the broader society. Um, as you mentioned in, in your intro, um, you know, one side effect of being under prohibition for uh, nearly a century here in America is that we have a lot of work to do to educate uh, the broader public, that cannabis is not only not dangerous, but the opposite is true, that it can be helpful in a variety of, of different therapeutic and recreational pursuits, and, and kind of re-educating the public on that is a big role uh, that, that we're engaged in here at the association, really to professionalize and normalize that, right? We just, uh, uh, um, also to kind of reference your opening there, you know, we, we just are coming off of the Thanksgiving holiday where it probably wasn't uncommon for you or me or any number of your listeners to see folks uh, uh, consume significant amounts of alcohol, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, through, through, throughout that, that experience, but might look at you uh, a little bit sideways if you, you know, pulled out a, 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 a J uh, and, and lit up, you know, in, in the backyard after Thanksgiving, right? So we still have that social stigma 
that we have to deal with in, in, in cannabis in, in a way that is largely inappropriate, but 100% objectively uh, inaccurate as well. Cannabis is safe. Um, it, it's beneficial in, in a variety of ways. And that's our job at the association to help communicate that to the public. That is awesome. Thank you so much. It's a lot that I have in that little <laughs> segment right there. First of all, I want to say what you guys are doing in Arizona is really, really cool because you have folks that have the, the licenses, then you don't have an excuse. If Even if you don't have a license, you can still operate. That is kind of like giving opportunity to other folks that might not have that limited license. Am I getting it right? Yes, yeah. And you still um, are kind of, you're working in partnership with that license owner, but I'll, I'll uh, you know, I'll just give you kind of a hypothetical example. If you find a significant uh, success in a market like Oklahoma or Colorado or even California, you can approach one of the license owners in Arizona and say, I want to bring my brand here. I want to, I want to bring my cultivation practices here. I want to bring my new tincture or, you know, my topical or my vape cartridge to Arizona. Um, and you can do that uh, uh, with, in, in partnership with one of these licensed owners. So just because we're a limited license market doesn't mean that our doors are closed to new businesses uh, or, or to new product expressions. And, and Arizona is a very, very great place to be in the cannabis business. That is awesome. The second thing that I'm going to come up with uh, from that uh, last discussion was the issue of uh, the fact uh, about education, health and wellness. They are, you know, talk to me uh, a little bit more details. First of all, were you ever part of, uh, there are a lot of folks that have to use cannabis as a medicine. That was part of the reason why they came into uh, the space. Well, some of some other folks didn't need to use it as a medicine. My husband was one of them. He just started using for a very long time when he was really uh, early twenties, and uh, he just he just loved using it. It helps him to calm down. He helps him with a lot of things. He's one member of the household that hardly gets sick. So talk to me. What it, talk about the health and wellness? of this plan because it's a, like you say, it's a years and years and years of lies that has been spread. It's gonna take us a while to debunk yeah. all these lies. I, I, absolutely, and I think maybe one, one thing that I'll do to answer your question is, is zoom all the way out. Um, you know, I think what, one of the, the quotes that has, has always stuck with me is the idea that, that, that food is medicine, right? That, that, that uh, uh, quote that says, let food be thy medicine. You know, cannabis is medicine, but I also think that maybe we don't consider that more things are medicine and medicinal than we might first acknowledge. Um, and, and I think the other thing that I would encourage folks to consider is that just because you don't need a prescription for it anymore doesn't mean that it's not medicinal. Um, you know, there used to be a time where you couldn't access things like aspirin or ibuprofen without talking to someone like you, right? Without talking to a pharmacist, without talking to a doctor. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that what we've done as a society is agree that there are not significant harms for that type of medicine being allowed for over-the-counter purchase. And what we're doing now as a society as we approach the normalization of cannabis is 
that something that that previously were, were required a, a doctor's note, right, and a prescription and a certification from a medical professional, we're now coming to a place where we agree as a society that people can uh, experience cannabis and the medicinal and therapeutic benefits of, of you know, either inhaling or otherwise ingesting cannabis um, and, and still allow that medicinal benefit without the, kind of the cover of a prescription. So just because it is in an adult use market or available over the counter does not mean that it ceases to have medicinal or therapeutic benefits. And, and that's something that I really make sure that folks understand, right? Um, uh, it, it, it's no different than aspirin or ibuprofen. Just because you don't need a prescription doesn't mean that it's not medicine. That is awesome. You, you, you did it way better than uh, <coughs> I could have done it there, uh, Samuel. Thank you so much. Yeah, it is called nutraceutical. Our food nutrients serving as medicine, just like we have pharma, pharmaceuticals, nutraceutical basically mean using our food as a nutrient. And yeah. the other thing I'm going to uh, throw in there to uh, uh, with what you just said is the fact that a lot of our conventional medicine were originally derived from these herbs. Cannabis, you have a seed, you put it in the soil, it grows, it's a plant. Yeah. The beautiful thing about it is that Mother Nature was so kind to us to add all this extra cannabinoid in there for our own wellness. And so it is a plant, it is food. It's not different from our spinach. And I also tell people, we have uh, folks that are on Coumadin, Warfarin, and we tell them don't take green veggies. Does that mean green veggies is bad for you? No, it's just that the green have vitamin K in it. And when you have a Coumadin that's already gonna thin your blood, and you also take uh, an agent that is gonna thin your blood more because of the vitamin K, you start having issue with bleeding. We, yeah. we don't want you bleeding. Internally, that's why we say don't eat greens. It's not like your broccoli or kale or, <laughs> or your cannabis is bad for you. Even uh, the power that be, uh, they need education as well. And it's people like you and I that are going to have to do that work. And talk, yeah, awesome. Talk to me. Let, that brings me to the to, uh, issue of legalization legalization in Arizona, how has that impacted the economy of the state? Oh, incredibly. Um, so I mentioned that we're well on our way to being a $2 billion industry. We'll probably have $1.5 billion in top line sales when all the numbers get crunched uh, early next year for, for the calendar year that we're in now. Um, but I'll tell you in just, you know, kind of real numbers as well, it's not just the owners of these licenses that are, you know, making significant uh, uh, money or anything like that. It's the people of Arizona because there's an excise tax of, of 16% on cannabis that was a part of the initiative. And that money has already yielded about $150 million in tax revenue uh, sending back to the people of Arizona. Um, and and th that number will probably eclipse $200 million uh, when all is said and done with, with this year it, uh, it, it as well. So those dollars go to things like uh, behavioral health services across the state, uh, infrastructure, like new roads and bridges in, in uh, the far reaches of our state. Um, we're the sixth largest state by landmass, 
in the country. So we have, while, while Phoenix is uh, a really big kind of metropolitan area, we're actually the fifth largest city in the country. Some people don't realize that, right? They, they know about New York, they know about Chicago, they know about LA. Um, uh, and then there's Houston, obviously the big- uh, That's uh, my uh, hometown. <laughs> uh, but then it's Phoenix, right? Uh, so, so we're a bigger city than Philly. Uh, you know, we're, we're a bigger city than San Diego. Uh, so we, like a lot of people forget that, right? But in addition to being a big city, the state itself is a really, really big state. So we have uh, really rural parts of Arizona. So that infrastructure resource is, is really incredible. Um, about five or six years ago, um, our state legislature made a decision to zero out funding to community colleges. Um, and that's one of the things that we did with Prop 207 is we uh, um, uh, made a, 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 a focused choice to reinvest into a community college system here uh, because what better source of money to uh, encourage higher education? That is, that is so, so, uh, I mean, that's special. That is just so special. And the other thing I'm going to ask you, I know when I was going through your bio, I said, okay, it's not just a political junkie like me. It's also a technology uh, uh, guru and all that. Talk to me, how, what are, when looking at the future, what role do you think technology is going to play in, in this cannabis space? Yeah, I think... Um... Uh, Especially when we are talking about trends and all, you know, like I was talking to one of my guests the other day, they have Tetragram, they have this uh, new app that is going to be able to uh, kind of collect data because part of the code, code word for prohibitionists is, oh, we don't have enough data. We don't have enough clinical trial. No, our great-grandfather has been using this plant. Our great-grandmas, they've been using this plant for generations. Mm -hmm. So indigenous folks, they know how to use this plant. But if it's data that they want, we, the people, need to start gathering the data. And how do we gather those data? Part of the way we can gather those data are technology. So talk to me, what do you think uh, is going to be, uh, like I was saying, uh, Tetragram, you're going to be able to, patients, clients are going to be able to track what they are using. Yeah. And using those data, we can begin to make decisions. Mm -hmm. I, I think, so I, I think, uh, you know, technology has always been a pervasive part of society, right? Like we, we, you know, our life has changed as technology has increased. And I think the other thing that's important to talk about here is so is cannabis, right? Mm -hmm. Cannabis is not new, as you mentioned, in indigenous peoples and really just uh, humans in general have been using uh, cannabis in, in a variety of different forms for at least 30,000 years. The, the longest you know, ago documented uh, source was a, a fossilized hemp woven fabric that was discovered um, uh, a few years ago that was dated back to about 30,000 years um, uh, prior to today, right? So we know that um, uh, cannabis has been inextricably linked to the development and, and the, the kind of the, the growth of human society. So that's a roundabout way of answering your question and saying that I can't imagine a world with increasing technology <clears throat> and, you know, artificial intelligence and, and the metaverse as, uh, you know, our buddy Mark Zuckerberg talks about um, that, that would not include cannabis as a part of that. 
Um, and I think that you're seeing that, right? Cannabis and other plant medicines have been inextricably linked with, with human society. And I don't think that that will ever change. Yeah, that's, uh, that is great. And that, that brings me to my next question. Uh, and, uh, you know, if part of what technology is kind of like a two-edged sword at the same time, you know, but at the same time, we, we are a great population. The world is growing. We all are not going to be able to, we're not going to be able to have enough grown plants that everybody is going to need. We're going to need the ingenuity of technology to be able to help us develop medicine for people, you know, process this hemp product. Because when we're talking about cannabis, we're not just talking about cannabis. We're also talking about hemp. And mm -hmm. all this, uh, and that one is like an animal on itself, the potential that hemp brings to the table. We're not even talking about that. But at the same time, when you look at how we are developing this new genetics, are we not at risk of losing those uh, cannabis landries? Like, you know, all those uh, cultivars, those are, uh, you know, OGs, the original strains that our forefather actually used. Are we not at risk of losing that? And what do you think we can do to, to, to preserve this, uh, this really rare uh, species for, our, for the next generation, you know? It's kind of yeah. like a history and artifact. Right. I, and I think that that's always a challenge, no matter what you were talking about, progress will always have um, the, the unfortunate side effect that, that some of the, the, the source material in, in, in whatever, you know, we're talking about, in this case, cannabis always gets lost by the wayside. But I think, you know, one, one uh, proverb that I try to hold center uh, um, as much as possible is that um, history will always favor the lion until the lamb is given voice. Right. So I think that what that means to me in this context is that it's incumbent on folks like you and I to continue to talk about, you know, the, those those cultivars that came from the original regions where cannabis was, was first cultivated um, uh, in, in uh, uh, the places that are far from uh, the Americas. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. um, and that we may have forgotten about from a historical context, but are still extremely important in terms of cannabis cultivation. Right. We wouldn't have any number of the things that we uh, might enjoy now on the shelves of dispensaries without um, Afghani cultivars or, or, you know, Durban poisons or, you know, th things that, you know, we might think uh, um, are just kind of secondhand now, but that's, that's the root, right? That's the source code um, for, for, you know, uh, uh, runts or, you know, whatever the new hot cultivar is this year. I, I think I maybe- know root beer. I've, I've, I've seen a lot of kind of spins on on uh, uh, root beer type cultivars. So we'll, we'll oh, see what God. comes out of there. But, you know, I think that one thing that I also try to um, uh, keep center as well in thinking about this is, is, is the fact that cannabis isn't new, um, right? We, we've had this plant around for quite a while. Um, the the uh, 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 careful cultivation of the plant isn't new. The formulation of the plant into many different varieties of expression, whether it's inhalables, uh, ingestibles, 
or topicals, right? They're all there. They've all been around for a long time. The uh, commerce of the plant is not new, right? People have been buying and selling cannabis for quite a long time. The <laughs> only thing that is new is that the government wants a piece of the action. Um, so the, when you can remember that, when you can keep that at the center of this work, um, you know that really at the root of everything we do, it's about education, right? And educating these regulators who want to fit us into, um, you know, an alcohol regulation box or fit us into, you know, a food or pharmaceutical box. They don't necessarily understand the pervasive nature of cannabis. Wherever you look in society, cannabis is there. Um, it used to be a part of animal feed, right? Um, uh, you know, people would grow hemp at, 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 as a fibrous part of, of uh, uh, pig and, and cattle feed. Um, uh, major car manufacturers use in the development of, of uh, their, their frames, of, of the vehicles, of the chassis, right? Uh, it's been made into uh, uh, incredibly strong uh, construction materials, right? And the list goes on and on and on. It hasn't always been known as a psychoactive uh, compound uh, primarily, right? So I think getting back to that and talking about it more um, as not something that's special um, and really is something that's boring, I think really is the goal, right? I want cannabis to be as boring as apples. Um, uh, and, <laughs> yeah, uh, and, you know, what one, uh, uh, but, uh, another way to think about it as well is, is grapes, right? Grapes are, are something that I always have in my fridge. Uh, I have two young kids. It's a great yeah. snack. You know, you can <laughs> have them by themselves. To grab. Yeah. You dip, dip them in a little bit of yogurt. You do whatever you want, right? Grapes are always around, but grapes grown in the right conditions and processed in the right ways also make a delicious beverage that makes an evening a little bit more enjoyable, right? Oh. <laughs> um, so, but at, at the root of wine is still that grape. Right. So yeah. at the root of, of, you know, psychoactive cannabis is still that hemp plant. It's the same plant, uh, you know, and, and I, it's just cultivated a little bit differently um, and, and a little bit more carefully. Right. So I think wine and, and grapes are a really good metaphor and really good analogy to kind of think through um, all, how all that works. I love that analogy. And the other thing I always kind of tell folks is that at the end of the day, even the psychoactive part of it, THC, it is medicine. It's not the bad, the boogeyman, the bad guys. No, this is a medicine. When you talk about people that use it in different ways, sativates, you know, even conventional medicine, these are really, it has the, its properties. It's okay. It has a potential to short-term memory loss. I feel like even the short-term memory loss, we can harness that to help some of our folks. Look at our military folks that are coming back from war with PTSD, with all this stress. That little part of the uh, pathways of PTSD, post-traumatic stress dis uh, disorder, is inability of folks to forget this trauma. So mm -hmm. if there is an agent out there that can help people to forget, yeah, we can harness that. And when we are talking about uh, uh, military men and women, we definitely cannot forget uh, Senator McCain. Like I said, I am a political junkie. He's such an amazing human, a great American that came out of Arizona there. So those are people that have really sacrificed for, for our country so that we can have this freedom 
And so we need to start looking out for, for these folks. And part of the way we can look out, for, look out for them is beginning to tell the power that be to fall back. They need to freaking fall back. Mm-hmm. And, and let plants like cannabis, like psychedelic, psilocybin, they have not killed anybody. Have right. you seen how many people, over 130 folks die every day from opioid overdose? Yeah. And right. this is from the CDC themselves, not Dr. O or Samuel, you know? Right, right. And I think maybe one, one thing that I would add there is, is and, and I know I'm, I'm uh, preaching to the choir, as, as you say, here, right? But um, I, I think that, that when we're talking about plant medicine, it's important to remember that in a way, that's really redundant right? Plants are medicine and most of our medicine comes from plants. And most of the things that we know now, even if they're synthesized, have their roots as plants, right? Uh, that's a nice little pun there, right? But the, 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 um, even the idea of aspirin, right? Indigenous peoples chewed on the bark of the willow tree. And mm-hmm. that, that is where that idea came from, where that experience came from. And what happened is this little outfit uh, decided to synthesize the active ingredient of the willow bark and, mm-hmm. and filed the first patent for aspirin, right? So that's where that thing came from. Uh, beer, alcohol, right? It's it's grain. Grain is a plant. Um, so yeah. you have all of these things that really have their root in plants. And even something like, like as dangerous as fentanyl and other synthesized opioids really have their root in the poppy plant, right? So, yeah. you know, far enough back, is is the the root of it all is a plant no matter what we're talking about and i think one of the things that we benefit from whether we're talking about cannabis or or um uh you know uh, psilocybin or, or some other uh, uh, uh psychoactive and psychotropic plant medicines we're much closer to the quote-unquote real thing than some of these other um uh psychotropic uh, uh, ingredients, right? So it's easier for us to talk about the health benefits in kind of the silo because we haven't gotten to that fully synthesized um, way yet and really kind of all, all the way down to the molecule instead of these kind of symphonic expressions of full spectrum uh, oil and, and, and whatnot, right? When, when, when the pharmaceutical companies start to get their hands on these patents and we're pulling out THCO or, you know, CBD in, in, in pure form or different things like that. I think that, that folks like you and I, who are used to either inhalation or ingestion of, of full spectrum oil from a, a, a full plant might see the effects happen a little bit different as we continue to kind of remove ourselves from that, that true source, which is the plant. Absolutely. And uh, when we talk about uh, plants, that are medicine, where else, especially when it comes to uh, mental health and all that. So I know we've digressed a little bit where we're gonna come back. Where else can we say part of the kings and queens of this plant other than the desert in Arizona, we have the cactus right there, San Pedro, uh, you know, um, mescaline and all these plants are right Mm -hmm. there in the desert of Arizona. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, and yeah. in fact, um, the uh, the author who, thanks to uh, 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 some of the, the work of, of Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia, which I'm sure you and some of your, your viewers have yeah. seen on, on Vice or whatever network it's on, um, he did a, a great episode on 5-MeO-DMT, the synthesized version of DMT. While well, the the frog, the toad um, that that uh, that found that, that that was the source of that synthesized version of DMT is naturally found. It's 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 natural habitat. It's here in southern Arizona, outside of the deserts of Tucson. Um, and the creation of that synthesized 5-MeO-DMT was really meant to save the natural population of those, those toads. And I think that, that those stories come in spades here in Arizona, right? We're, in a lot of ways, um, the indigenous home to a lot of psychotropic naturally occurring uh, uh, um, uh, active ingredients, right? Whether it's the peyote um, uh, of the Toon Odom people, or you have uh, the, 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 the toads of, of other uh, indigenous peoples um, and a variety of other uh, um, aspects as well. In fact, um, the, the teachings of, of Don Juan um, um, from Castaneda, most of that took place in the deserts of Arizona. Um, so I think that, you know, we really are kind of a, a, a spiritual home, a spiritual center for a lot of plant medicines. Um, so in, in many, many ways, uh, uh, we, we are also the home of, of the next iteration, the next generation of cannabis professionals. So um, awesome. really appreciate the time to talk about that and, and the opportunity to address you and your, your listeners. Definitely, definitely. And uh, we, we can, I mean, we will be bringing you back to talk about psych psychedelics because that is my specialty. I focus on cannabis, but at the same time, I also focus on psychedelics too. Now let's go back to cannabis. We are, we are talking cannabis. So talk to me about cannabis when it comes to, see, part of the, the stress that folks are going through is the banking with Cannabis businesses, entrepreneur, the uh, uh, moms and pubs that depends on these little businesses to take care of their children, they cannot even get loans. They cannot, the stigma, then the restriction on banking. Talk to me about that. How, especially you as, a, as somebody that's so close to these uh, lawmakers, what is going on out there? And uh, talk to me. What is going on out there? <laughs> yeah, well, so part of the issue uh, with, with the federal illegality, right? So, so we are one of uh, uh, about 15 states um, that, that uh, have an adult use marketplace right now. Um, and, and about 35 states have some form of legalized cannabis, whether it's uh, a, a medical market or it's been decriminalized, but there's no commercial market for cannabis. You know, what one of those things, right? So uh, a, a large majority of the individual states across the country have legalized cannabis, but the federal government has not. Um, and what that means in a practical way is that you cannot cross state lines with either product or money um, uh, in, in a legal or compliant way. Um, and when you can't cross the state lines with money, that means a lot of the, the uh, kind of the ease of transfer that you and I might be used to. I can use my, you know, uh, American Express or my Visa card. If, if I go on a trip across country, I can use it wherever I am because it's kind of digital currency, right? Well, 
cannabis funds, cannabis revenue, cannabis income can't be used in the same way because if that money crosses state lines, it immediately gets triggered as a money laundering case um, uh, and, and the, the Department of Justice and the FBI get real interested in some of those activities, right? Um, so what the Safe Banking Act would do while we wait for Congress to actually fully legalize cannabis, it would really take a large step in decriminalizing the already legal business of the, the, the uh, cannabis, the multi-billion dollar industry across the country. And you see uh, folks actually just, just uh, uh, yesterday, uh, th there was a, a large press conference in the Oakland area of a variety of number of, of dispensaries that have been uh, um, uh, burgled and, and actively uh, and aggressively robbed um, uh, because most of the business that we have to conduct right now is in cash. Um, so, you know, we have businesses that are, you know, uh, highly compliant and, and fully, you know, uh, uh, regulated by their, their local and state jurisdictions, but they are unable to uh, uh, make tax payments to the federal government uh, be, because they may have gotten robbed because the entire business is done in cash. So um, what this Safe Banking Act will do is really take a big step into making sure that some of those ease of financial transactions that other businesses have available to them are also available to cannabis businesses. That, thank you so much for that. That brings me to my next question when you talk about decrim. And this is the issue of Black Indigenous people of color. We all know is the lies was really propagated and the prisons were really uh, made money for the government at the back of the Black Indigenous people of color, the minority people. And now, even without having this access to banking, first of all, folks are not really able to get licenses. Even if you get the license, how do you get the money to take your business to the next level as a minority? What is your organization doing to help minority community, or especially as a lobbyist uh, to these state houses? What are you doing to make sure this injustice that we have seen for generations doesn't carry on to the next generation? Yeah, so a lot of that work is happening at the federal government uh, uh, because that's really where the, the bottleneck is. Um, so we're doing what we can at, across state houses. And, and I'll mention that our attorney general here in the state of Arizona, Mark Burnovich, has um, historically been extremely supportive of uh, the provisions of the Safe Banking Act. Um, and we're, we're grateful for his uh, advocacy and support. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Uh, really how much any state level leaders want to uh, encourage the safe banking legislation to move forward. Uh, the decision is really only up to the 535 individuals um, uh, that make up the, uh, the, uh, the Congress at, in, in Washington. So the 100 senators and the 435 members of the House of Representatives there really have that, that decision. So, you know, in coalition with a variety of number of people, whether it's um, uh, Amber and the group at the Minority Cannabis Business Association, uh, the, the groups at uh, the U.S. Uh, uh, Council of Cannabis, uh, the, the National Cannabis Roundtable, all those types of groups are ones that we're heavily engaged in. Um, I'm, I'm personally very involved with a, a group called ATTACH, which is the, uh, the American Trade Association for Cannabis and Hemp. 
Um, and we also, as an association, are represented federally by an amazing woman named Safira Galoub, who is also uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, the uh, individual who runs the National Cannabis Roundtable. Um, so we, we have uh, quite a, a bit of focus and energy that we're sending to uh, Washington to make sure that uh, the lawmakers there are, are fully comprehending that when they are keeping safe banking from passing, they're keeping communities of color from accessing the capital necessary to uh, operationalize and, and, and run an organization that uh, uh, can, can function and thrive in a regulated cannabis ecosystem. Yeah, that's awesome. My, uh, finally, I'm gonna ask you, first of all, it's two parts of a question. Uh, the first part is that Arizona is, uh, is a tourist, it's very close to Vegas, it's close to California itself. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful place to live and for visitors to come. How are you guys capitalizing on that, being a tourist state uh, as it relates to cannabis, as in cannabis tourism. Are you guys looking into that at all? Uh, definitely. I mean, Arizona is absolutely uh, one of the, the places in the country that benefits quite a bit from tourism. Uh, we have one of those uh, opposite seasons, right? So um, right now, when everyone is experiencing extreme winter weather, uh, our highs uh, are somewhere in the mid-70s. Um, so it's a very, very popular uh, place to come if you're in the Midwest or other places that experience uh, extreme cold. Um, so, and of course, this was all pre-pandemic, right? But but prior to COVID, uh, Arizona would routinely get between 40 and 45 million visitors every year. Um, and uh, th that could be for a variety of things, whether they're just coming to Arizona to golf, um, it, for folks who are escaping the cold winter weather to spend six months here in Arizona, or uh, um, we're a very heavily uh, trafficked uh, state for sports. Uh, so we are a regular hoster of the uh, Super Bowl, of the NCAA Final Four tournament, one of the, the best parties on the uh, PGA golf uh, uh, tour is called the Phoenix Open. Um, and that routinely for a golf tournament gets somewhere in the neighborhood of about 30 to 50,000 people coming out just for that, right? So there's, there's quite a bit of activity in that realm. And now that we're in an adult use marketplace, it's incumbent on the cannabis community here to let folks know when they get off the air, airport um, at Phoenix Sky Harbor or Tucson International um, to, to let them know that their first stop after they get their rental car should be their dispensary. Um, and and, uh, and yeah. that's the work that we're engaging in I mean, here. You know, a lot of folks know us as the Grand Canyon state. Yeah. I really want to make sure that we transition into that to be known as the Grand Cannabis state. Um, awesome. We're on, uh, starting next year. That's awesome. So finally, what is the, what are that services? What are that uh, benefit does your member get from, uh, because everybody, all the dispensary out there definitely needs to be a member of uh, ADA. What other benefit does your member get? Absolutely. They're very typical to, you know, any other trade association for for other industries. Um, and they really align with those three legs of the stool that I talked about earlier. Right. So that legislative and political action is one big piece of it. So our members are not only uh, beneficiaries of that work, but they're also direct participants in that work. We host regular conversations with lawmakers and candidates um, to make sure that they have opportunities to speak with our members and the, uh, the, the participants 
in the marketplace there. Uh, also a huge benefit is the regulatory and compliance work that we do as new rules come down. We help interpret those, we help operationalize those. And then the third piece is being a part of that, you know, public education and paid marketing effort to help communicate to the broader public that we're here and we're open for business. Awesome. Um, that's a, yeah. a huge benefit of the uh, of membership. And uh, for any of your listeners that are interested in membership, they can reach out to us on our website, which is azdispensaries.org. We're also on Instagram at arizona.dispensaries and uh, also all over LinkedIn. So, so look us up on LinkedIn as well. Definitely. And uh, we're going to be, uh, uh, before I let you go, what is your advice to folks that are com- just coming into this space? They are new to cannabis or just new to the business of cannabis. What is your advice? Um, uh, learn. There's a lot of resources out there. So learn before you do. Um, uh, that, that I had uh, um, a family member who was in kind of that contracting space, the, the, you know, the, 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 the construction and building space. And it uh, didn't matter what we were talking about. He always said, measure twice, cut once. Um, and I think that uh, that's very applicable in cannabis. It, there, there's a lot of resources that are out there, whether it's your website, uh, websites like ours, um, websites like Leafly or Weed Maps or the Minority Cannabis Business Association. There's all sorts of really great resources out there. Do some due diligence before you just go out there and say, I'm going to be in cannabis. It's a very difficult industry to be a part of, but you'll find a lot of folks willing to chat and talk to you and help you learn about what needs to uh, kind of be your foundation as you enter the space. Awesome. And finally, I'm going to let you uh, tell our listener again, where can we find you? I know you mentioned it and we're going to put all this information in our show notes when we release this episode. So Simon, talk to me, where can we find you? Uh, on Online at azdispensaries.org and on Instagram at arizona.dispensaries. And also on LinkedIn, if you just search Arizona Dispensaries Association, we'll pop right up. Awesome. Awesome. We definitely, we, we can fit Samuel. He's doing so much great stuff. We can fit him in one episode. So we're definitely going to be bringing him. But thank you so much, Samuel, for joining me today. And folks, uh, like I said, you are a business out there. We're still looking for sponsor for this show. If you want to be part of what we are doing, Slide in DM WCI Health 19 or WCI Health health.com. And also, my book, A Pharmacist's Guide to Cannabis, this will help you if you are a dispensary. Samuel, your members need to get this book and put it in their dispensary for real because it's going to save folks a lot of time. The bartender will not need to be explaining nothing anymore. It's going to fasting everything they come in they need a a cultivar they need specific topping they can look in here and see what they need and just go for it saves you a lot of money saves you a headache helps your bartender so grab your copy we can do a deal for you as well folks that's our show for today until next time remember healthy cause well bye guys see you later (music) 